Um, otherwise, you can talk out like this, and then no one will hear you in the back row. So if you can't hear me, right. Uh, welcome to the first part of this session. Um, this is sort of course 101 on the uh, LMS, CMS, whatever you want to call it, learning management, course management, instructional management systems. Um, we, uh, those of us who are putting this together, got together, organized the set of uh, presentations. This one starts with the current state of affairs. It's a sort of round table, but actually this one, everybody's just going to get up and give a brief presentation about uh, what they're doing at their university. Since each of you could do the same thing, um, you could also interrupt and say, you know, I think that's interesting, or why do you do this, or, or something like that, which is uh, keeping in tradition of CSG. To start this off, though, uh, I put together a uh, survey using the uh, Harvard survey tool. And uh, my first results are that uh, there are 25 schools that could answer. Uh, 20 of them used the survey tool. It worked correctly for them. Two, it did not work correctly for. So uh, I'm not sure exactly why. We're still trying to figure that out, because tens of thousands of people have used the survey tool, but something was going on there. And we got 23 responses, which is actually, I think, excellent for um, this kind of survey. Um, I just have a few brief things. I tried to put this together in a PowerPoint, but it ended up looking better in the spreadsheet, so I'll see if this spreadsheet makes more sense. Just briefly, and I'll bring up more of these as the day goes on, um, I was rather surprised. Uh, we, I, I um, started by thinking, well, everybody has an undergraduate student body and they have lots of courses and they use the course tools, but in fact, the course tools are in use by a lot more than undergraduates. There are graduate schools, medical schools, law schools, dental schools, nursing schools, and so on. They use the course tools. And so I ended up asking the question as to, in your university, which course tools are used. The amazing thing is that when you count what was mentioned in any row on the spreadsheet that comes out here, the, row, the spreadsheet are the, the results of the uh, survey, you get this interesting spread and uh, of the 23 schools you can see uh, what's in use where uh, and that does not mean it's the the most used one so I then asked how many courses there are and how many are using it and got people to hopefully think about which the largest used tool was so I then got the numbers and this has to add the 23 since there's only one largest used tool at each school and that's the next column um, the largest number of courses at a particular school. Now, in some schools, that was only 16 or 18 percent of the courses. At others, it was 100 percent of the courses. Uh, the other commercial uh, are uh, Angel and um, I think Angel was the, the one that I noted there. The others are homegrown in various ways. And then finally, I asked, what are your plans for the future? And when push came to shove and I read everything, there was not lots of change. And that was also very, very interesting. Uh, and this, people were talking about a year or two down the road. I, I don't know. We're going to have a session tomorrow on what the future people see the future as. And that will actually be quite interesting when you've had a day here to do this. Um, so there, that's, that's quite interesting. I, I'll distribute the actual spreadsheet with all the actual answers. I've gleaned this from 
text that was written as to we use Blackboard in the business school and we use WebCT in the nursing school and, and we developed our own in the education school. Uh, this, this is the text. It's very, very interesting. And the future text is also very interesting. So we like Blackboard this now. We're looking at Blackboard that. But maybe we're going to go to some OKI-compliant tools. And So that was the, a very, very interesting one. Um, then I just tried to put up a couple that had some interesting things. How do people feel about the importance of OKI compliance? I thought that's a, a relevant topic for today, and people rated them one to five. That's the uh, frequency distribution and mean. And then I asked uh, the last question on the questionnaire was, uh, what, um, what, what do you think the importance is of these uh, uh, learning object standards uh, SCORM, uh, IMS, uh, Dublin Core, and so on. And, and that also equally considered equally important by people. It, it, it's a very interesting, I think, result that the people who fill out these surveys really do think these things are important. There are some people who don't think they're that important. But anyway, here we are. Now, the other thing I ask, is your system scalable? You know, like ask any mayors, yours a modern city, I guess. <laughs> They always say yes. Uh, this was amazing. I guess since people are looking for scalable systems, the answer was 22 of the 23 he said yes, their system was scalable. One said no, and that was an older version of WebCT, and they were looking to upgrade to a newer version. That was an outlier. Um, I tried to tabulate the results for do you archive your material, and I couldn't come up with any kind of reasonable tabulation. It was. Well, we, we don't throw them away. Uh, we keep them a couple years. We put them on CD. Uh, you'll, you'll see when you get the survey all the different variances on that. Um, the conclusion, though, I came to in looking at it is there's no consistent way that people are uh, uh, saving their, their objects. And also, there was very little comment about uh, we're looking at uh, a system for saving these learning objects over time. Uh, a couple of comments about some consistency, but uh, not very much. So, so there isn't really much to say about the archiving. I really couldn't tabulate it. So that's the sort of nitty-gritty, just basics of the survey results. So any questions about this to start with? Um, the survey uh, is another Excel spreadsheet here. Uh, with uh, results like this, which then you can read off at the top. Um, and uh, the number of courses, the questions are defined at the top of this spreadsheet, and then the, the number of courses are there. So anyway, that will send up. So no questions. As time goes on, you may have some more questions about what the survey said about something or other. A little washed out here. Right? So I picked the dark. Okay, now, yes, question? No, all right. Yeah, I could make the font size larger, but then you'd be able, you know, you wouldn't read it as well. So that's this brief presentation. Um, I was going to give a little bit about the current state of affairs at Harvard, but it turns out that in the 1 o'clock session, our people who can do that better than I will be talking about the uh, um, frameworks, and that will give that view. Um, so now we'll go to individual presentations, and uh, please feel free to ask questions. Um, this is the order. Uh, oh, actually, no, I, I'm sorry. Charlie has to go last, so I... I
out there in video land. Viewable, visible. Is that a way to? Can we lower the lights a little bit? And you? No. Nope. Okay. <laughs> Simple question. Simple answer. <laughs> um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Serge Goldstein, and I'm the director of academic services at Princeton. And among its many areas of responsibility, its many domains, the academic services group is the one that is currently in charge of learning management, course management systems here. And so I thought what I would thought I, I would do today is give you an overview of what we're doing with learning management systems at Princeton, what we have done, and um, a little bit about where we think we're going. And um, the, the main learning, the learning management system, the, uh, the primary learning management system we use is, is, is Blackboard's learning management system. I'm also going to say a little bit about Almagest, which is a homegrown system that is used a lot in art courses and, and now growingly in other courses at Princeton as well, um, and, uh, and which has some interesting characteristics. So moving right along. Is that visible, viewable? Yes? OK, this is kind of an overview of learning management systems at uh, Princeton, sort of the history of, of what's happened here. And we start in the fall. We, this is when we first started collecting data about what faculty were doing in terms of course web pages. Um, so fall 1996, we had early on a few faculty building their own course web pages. 
And recognizing that this was a growing need, starting in 1997, we started building our own course web page system, course management. It, in those days, it wasn't called a course management system. It was just a bunch of forums that let you easily create course web pages. And we did this for a few years, 97 through 98. And you can see that the system was, grew in adoption. This is a total number of courses that were using the systems. And then um, kind of peaked, started to go down. And we realized, sort of around a 1998, 1999 time frame, that we simply didn't have the in-house resources to continue to expand upon and build this system and have it do all the things that our faculty needed and wanted it to do. So we brought in the Blackboard system here in 1999. And now you can trace the evolution. Again, the number of courses using the system and the growth over all the subsequent semesters. In the fall of 2000, something interesting happened at a uh, director's meeting with the then acting CIO at Princeton, who was also the provost, a gentleman by the name of Ostreicher, um, said to us, look, you, you're getting a lot of use of this course management system. I think it would make life easier if you went ahead and pre-built course web pages for every course at Princeton in the course management system, put them out there, and then faculty could use them if they want to or not, but they wouldn't have to contact you and ask that you go ahead and build the, the course website. He viewed, at that time, he viewed course management systems as essentially a web extension of the course guide and figured that what would be in a course management system is basic information about the course, where it's, you know, where it's taking place, dates and times, a syllabus, and some other basic information. And his view was that that should be presented in a standard fashion in a standard way. So why not have our standard course management system go ahead and do that? So starting in the fall of 2000, we actually now, since then, we have had a course website built in Blackboard for every course at Princeton, roughly about 1,000 a semester. There's a number of courses at Princeton. So we have 1,000 course websites per semester. And what, we've tried, what I've tried to do on, in this slide is give you an idea of how many of those course websites we think the faculty are actively using. Now, it turns out that that is a non-trivial thing to determine. To begin with, Blackboard doesn't have very good tools for measuring usage of the course websites. But even if it did, you run into a sort of a definitional problem. What does it mean to use a course website? If a faculty member is using it to send email to all their students, is that use of the course web page? If they're using it to check out the roster or the Facebook we have, is that using it? If they put a syllabus into it, is that, is that considered use? I mean, there's minimal use, and then we have some faculty who are putting lots of documents. They're using the grade book. They're using the quiz tool. So we have different levels of usage. And we sort of arbitrarily decided, well, we think, we think we're going to count it as active usage if there's at least, I think it was, two documents that have been added to the course website by the faculty member. One of the things I should tell you is in addition to just simply, we don't just simply build the shell of the course website. Into that shell, we put as much information as we can gather about the course. So where it's being held, uh, Facebook, uh, basic description of the course taken from the course catalog and other things. So the, the course website is already useful to the students just as we produce it, and then the faculty add to that. So here we can see what's happening, and up until um, the fall of this past year, 
we saw some steady growth in what we considered actively used course web pages. And then just in this spring semester, we've seen a, a, a decline. I don't quite know what to make of that. I, I should point out, though, that if you look here, you'll also see a similar decline here during the early phases when we had our own course management system. I'm beginning to think that there's a that with course management systems, you get this effect where faculty find out about it, start to use it, put lots of stuff into it. And then a year or two down the road, they kind of go, this is a lot of work. And how much am I really getting out of it? And you sort of maybe get a tail off. So you have to kind of do something at that point to continue to make the system attractive, either add feature, add functionality, or in some other way, continue to have faculty use and adopt the system. I don't know if other schools have seen this kind of, of drop-off. Also, I don't know how real that number is. As I say, these statistics are hard to come by. It may very well be that we had faculty using the gradebook a lot here, but not putting in a lot of documents, and we're only looking at the number of documents. So, so I, wouldn't, I wouldn't make too much of this. Okay. As I say, with Blackboard, we are, we are pre-building a, um, a course, uh, course website for every course at Princeton. Uh, we think that current active usage is around 500. We're also, by the way, seeing more and more use of our course management systems by organizations at Princeton instead of courses. I just, is that, I mean, I don't know if all of you are seeing that as well, but a lot of organizations take, will take advantage of a system that lets you have, you know, email and place to drop off documents and a chat facility and so on. It isn't just courses that can use that kind of facility. So we're seeing more and more use of the course management system in an organizational context, and that poses some interesting challenges to us because we're not a, we're an academic support group, and we are not essentially chartered to provide organizational support. And organizational support means different kinds of things. I think that's an interesting thing maybe we could talk about later. Um, we do have core, as I say, when we pre-build these websites, we put, put some basic um, material into them. Our system is integrated with the PeopleSoft student system and course information system, so we populate all these course websites with the student enrollment in the course. And as I say, growing use by organizations. Now, I, I suspect it's every, everyone here is running a course management system of some kind, right? Homegrown or others and so on. One of the things you immediately discover is these systems very quickly become critical enterprise systems for your organization. This is to give you a snapshot. We just picked, arbitrarily picked one day during the semester, 11.30 a.m. on the, the 7th of November last year, and we looked at logins to the Blackboard system. Starting at that time, the number of logins in the past three hours, past day, past five days, past 30 days, and past 60 days, 7,182. That number is about the total number of students and faculty at Princeton. So basically, we are seeing almost every single student and faculty member. These are individual not logins. Not, these are, we count each person only once. Okay, So you're seeing pretty widespread use of the course management system and quite, quite heavy usage. Um, our Blackboard server is about the second, second or third busiest server on our network currently. Um, just quickly, exactly what we're running. We're running Blackboard 5.5, level 3. We run it on two Sun E450s. Each one has four CPUs, four gigs of RAM. One of the E450s runs the Oracle backend, the database, and one runs the actual code. And we have about 100 gigabytes of storage currently allocated for the, uh, the actual course content. Um, 
this setup is handling our load quite well. Um, in terms of support, we have two FTEs that are actually dedicated to Blackboard support full-time, and one programmer who's dedicated to Blackboard support full-time. In addition, we provide training for various ancillary support groups on campus in Blackboard, so all our help desk personnel are trained on Blackboard. Our, uh, we have a, a group of people out in the departments providing distributed um, IT support. They're trained on Blackboard. The other thing we've done, which I, is, is maybe a little innovative, I don't know, is we, at the start of each semester, we hire a number of graduate students, somewhere between 10 and 15, and uh, have them do faculty office visits, training visits, um, on Blackboard and on other aspects of IT at Princeton. We have been singularly unsuccessful in getting faculty to come to training classes. We have been singularly unsuccessful in getting them to come to workshops. We've been singularly unsuccessful in getting them to come to just about anything. Um, so we figured we'd take the, is it the mountain to Muhammad? Is that the right? Yeah. So we've, we've moved the mountain to Muhammad. We are actually now going out to their offices. One big advantage of that is if you bring a faculty member into your training classroom where there's a PC running, you know, Windows 2000 with a whole bunch of different software on it, they then go back to their office where they're running on an old Mac, and absolutely nothing works the way you told them and just trade them um, to do things. So that this has been a rather successful, and it's quite scalable. And we don't, we can do about 50 to 100 visits per semester without too much trouble. We also contract with Blackboard for consulting support um, when we're actually installing the product or upgrading it. Okay, so much for Blackboard. The other product I want to talk about is a thing called Almagest, and there's a gentleman sitting back, I won't point you with a laser pointer, Kirk Alexander. Kirk is, by the way, now in charge of all of our courseware, both Blackboard, Almagest, and also all the specialized courseware that his group builds. But Almagest, and, and Kirk, please jump in if I've gotten any of this wrong, it was, it's software that originally designed, I think, to provide the virtual equivalent of a side-by-side -side slide presentation. If you've ever taken an art history or art course, you know that that's what art faculty do, is they show slides one against the other. And this, this allows you to build, uh, to store images into a database and build these kinds of side-by-side -side presentations. Um, it has grown now. It handles multiple media, video and sound. Um, it allows you to build various kinds of presentations. Almagest is both a system that a faculty member uses when they're teaching. They bring in a laptop, they bring up their slide presentation and show it. It's also a system that students can use after the class, can go back, go to their computer, and review a slideshow. To give you an idea, we're currently seeing this in this past semester. Almagest was used in 62 courses, and it has about 40,000 images organized into what are called projects, which are the actual specific instances of the Nalmagest collection. Okay, future. About a year ago, we helped form a committee at Princeton called which, the Committee on Academic Technology, which is made up of IT people and associate deans for various offices around the campus. And this committee was formed essentially to oversee 
IT developments at Princeton and to try to help coordinate those IT developments with things going on more generally within the university and the administration. And uh, one of the things that I've tried to do this year is to get take the planning for course management and learning management systems at Princeton out of just being in the IT arena and get it moved up to the level of these deans so that the decision making about what kind of course management systems we're going to run are not IT decisions. They become institutional decisions. I think that's, that's very, very important that we get buy-in from those folks about what we're trying to do. And we recently had that committee meet to consider the future of course management systems at Princeton. They have heard a presentation from Blackboard. They're going to hear other presentations um, that talk about different directions a university might take. Based on that, what we've decided is for the short term, we are going to stay with Blackboard. We're moving to version 6 in the fall of this year. We are also looking to um, facilitate the use of, of Almagest from within Blackboard. Almagest will remain a system on its own, but we're going to make it easy to link the two together. And we are working on developing or purchasing plugins for Blackboard that will enhance its capabilities. I don't know if all of you know, but Blackboard has its own API now, and you can build or purchase a variety of ancillary products that, that work with the basic system. The long term really depends a lot on what's going to happen in particular with OKI. Um, Blackboard has announced, has issued a press release, a statement saying they intend to support the OKI standards. They've never said exactly and precisely what that means, but um, recently in the presentation to the Committee on Academic Technology, the president of the CIO of the company, uh, CEO, excuse me, Matthew Patinsky, said that he believed that now OKI was real enough, there was enough material out there that Blackboard could actually start implementing some code to try and make Blackboard, in some sense, OKI compliant. To me, OKI compliant means that if you write a plug-in that works in an OKI system, I can take it and run it in Blackboard. Um, if that happens, then I suspect we'll stay with Blackboard for the uh, foreseeable future. Because then we have a, a vendor-supported product and that also allows us to, to leverage all the development that's happening um, on OKI-based standards. Um, we'll also, I suspect, stay with Blackboard if we find no viable open source alternatives down the road. So this, it depends a lot on what's going to happen with OKI and the development of OKI-compliant systems. We do plan in the, in the future to develop our own plugins, a variety of them, um, it would be, if, if Blackboard is OKI compliant, it would be nice to develop these plugins on an OKI basis rather than a Blackboard API basis, because it would make them that much more useful to the community. And last but not least, I do want to mention that independent of anything we're doing, the computer science department at Princeton has decided to build their own course management system. Of course. <laughs> They're calling their system Whiteboard. <laughs> yeah. No. They have no intention of building a product that would be used even within Princeton by any other departments, much less outside of Princeton. This is a purely for computer science. If you ask them why they're doing it, 
they'll tell you it's because we have unique needs. But then if we go to them and say, but look, look, using the Blackboard API and other things, you could meet those needs out of a course management system, then they'll say, well, our faculty don't like Blackboard. Why? Well, our faculty don't like Blackboard. They're doing it because they want to control the horizontal and the vertical and because they're CS and because they want to build their own system. Interestingly enough, the staff of the CS department aren't all too thrilled about having to build their own course management system. <laughs> They're doing this in PHP, by the way. And um, so we are trying to convince them that wh what we're basically saying to them is, tell us what your unique needs are. Let's see if we can meet those needs out of, out of Blackboard, out of an expanded Blackboard with plugins. But I wanted to mention that because it, it, it sort of shows the kinds of things that can happen if you don't have a system that's flexible enough and expandable enough to meet differing needs of various departments. Of course, with departments like CS, maybe no amount of flexibility will ever be enough. They simply want it to be their own. For those of you who've dealt with CS departments. Yeah? I would rather move to, a, to stay with a supported product. That's what I want. I want a supported product. That may be, if the vendor is doing a good job, that may be supported. There, I can imagine scenarios in which an open source product would be supported. See, the, I'm, not, I'm not an open source, not open source bigot or advocate or anything else. I'm interested in having a system here that is stable and reliable and scalable and supported. I want to be able to call someone, you know, if something goes wrong and get help. So, so, so having some, some, some level of service agreement, some level of, some level of confidence that I'm going to get support for the system. That's what I'm interested in. Right now, the only way I know to do that is to contract with a vendor. But there are other models. There's a, there are open source systems out there. You know, you can buy Linux now and get a support contract from Red Hat. So, yeah. If you do move from, uh, from Blackboard to another supported product, have you estimated what it would cost? Estimated what it would It's very hard to compute these costs when you try to fully cost out what a course management system um, is about. I don't think vendor versus open source is so much a cost issue. I, I find... I don't believe open source would really save us money. It would cost us money in different ways. But I don't, I don't think you should do that because you think it's going to save you a lot of money. In many ways, some of these vendor products are cheap. You know, for $50,000 a year, that's it. You're taken care of. You don't have any headaches. You've got a system that's supported and run. Some people think that's a lot of money. But with an open source system, you may need to have two or three programmers helping you support it and maintain it. And that could be a lot more money. It depends upon how you, how you cost things out. So I don't think so much, to my mind, it's not so much a um, cost issue as it is a support, reliability, stability, maintainability issue. The other thing I should say here is we are, we're planning to go to Blackboard 6 in the fall, which is modestly different from Blackboard 5.5. We already have faculty who are unhappy. Already. I mean, the chair of one of our devices just said, we're just learning 5.5 and now you're changing it? And if you think about it, that's one of the attractions of a homegrown system, is that you don't have to upgrade it every year. If you go with a course management system from a vendor, you have no choice but to constantly upgrade the product, because they simply drop support 
for the older versions. So you're, you're constantly move, having to move your faculty from one release to the next. Um, so that, and that is a problem with Blackboard. But you can imagine what a problem it is for me to go to the faculty and say, we're moving to Chef or we're moving to WebCT. It's hard enough to move to Blackboard 6. So there's going to have to be real value added before we can contemplate doing something like that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, the Blackboard API, you have to pay to get a developer license, but it's it's a it's an open. I mean, the, the API is open. You you can develop something and make it available to whoever you want. In fact, on the black there's a, a, a www. It's a buildingblocks.blackboard.com. You can go and there's a list of of building blocks that have been contributed to the site. Some of them are vendor developed and cost money. Others of them are are free and open source. So, um, so there is a community. There's a user group. So I think you're going to see some development in that area. What would be wonderful is if Blackboard really did implement OKI, then we could be building to a common API standard than rather to a proprietary API standard like Blackboard, which makes those tools useful only within a Blackboard context, if you see what I'm, what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's not the case. They've carefully worded it. You, you, we, I, we, we're, we have stuff from that other people have developed, and we're, we're, we're our Facebook code. We're probably going to make available, and there's there's no problem with that. Yeah. Four. Really? <laughs> About what what institutions and for doing what? Right. Right. Yeah, I, I really want to hear more about that. <laughs> we've had no, seriously, we've had no issues like that, and we there are lots of there are a lot there are things out there that you can pick up from other institutions and run within your Blackboard system. And maybe a question of what the building block specifically does. Yeah. Yeah. It would be very interesting to hear. I'd, I'd like the details on that so we can know what's going on. Because our reading of the, of the license agreement is that if you develop something, as long as you're not exporting Blackboard proprietary interfaces or information, you can do whatever you want with it. Mm -hmm. 
combination of the late notice, sharp increase in the price, and so forth, has, I think, destroyed some of the trust that they have in trust within them. Right, that's right. You have to look at what it is that specific people were specifically doing. Okay, any other questions? You need to be running a version of Blackboard that has the API, which is not the base version. You need to be running a level two or level three version of the product. I think it's. 5.5 five and level, level 3, 5.5 five or above. But now it's not in 6. It's got a different name. But, yeah, you have to be running some higher level of the product. Yeah. Dennis. I'm aware of the cease and desist order of Blackboard, but it was related to the transaction system. Yeah, there were some cease and desist order related to the transaction system. Are you sure these are learning system building block related? Okay. Well, As they were reporting to us. Because there was a whole series of issues about yeah, the transaction system. About the transaction system. Yeah. Yeah, we don't know. We're not, I've... Yes, that's right. And there was some cease and desist stuff, but I don't know about the learning management system. I've not heard that. Okay. Thanks, John. I guess. There we go. Let me just real quick try to unplug this. Or does this get plugged in? Thank you. Oh, the mic. You got your other set of arms today. joke that came to mind when Frank was talking about librarians and IT professionals. It's another one I've heard that I can change it to that, but uh, a surgeon, a librarian, and IT professional were talking about whose profession was the first profession, and the surgeon says, well, you know, God was the first surgeon. He created Eve from Adam's rib, so... And the librarian says, no, 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 you know, even before God created people, you know, she uh, created order from chaos. And uh, therefore, you know, she must have been the first librarian. And the IT professional says, who do you think created chaos? <laughs> <laughs> so that's us. Hey.
the only way to make it 800 by, well, let's see. Uh, Brooklyn Botanical Garden. Oh, come on. Why? <laughs> this is ridiculous. <laughs> it says resuming, right? I can take my pad out and talk about what I was going to talk about there, but one more, one more time, and we give up. What was that? Oh, it's powered in, yeah. This time it didn't turn off. Okay, um, what we call courseworks at Columbia, uh, that's the official name of our course management system, is based on Prometheus, and we're probably one of the, the one that's uh, in your spreadsheet that uh, uses uh, Prometheus uh, university-wide, uh, except for a few departments. Um, we came to the decision to use Prometheus um, after evaluating several alternatives, including WebCT and Blackboard, but at the time we were running our own um, uh, course management system based on what we call the directory of classes. Directory of classes was originally developed as the pencil book. I think David Millman had something to do with that creation. Um, and it was basically our course catalog, online course catalog, and a way of integrating registrar data into some useful form for our user community, especially students who wanted to do things like uh, do course shopping uh, at the beginning of the semester, uh, getting the faculty information into a central location, and also the registrar data in those days was used for uh, creating LDAP affiliations in our LDAP directory to indicate what student was taking what course so that uh, protections or permissions can be created in the web environment using HD access, uh, what students can you look at what particular course material, especially when it came to things like library reserves or uh, things that we put online under fair use. Um, at that time, the 
director of classes became a course management system because we had an operation called ITC, Instructional Technology Cluster, which was basically a bunch of faculty, mostly science faculty, who came together one summer and created an um, environment where students can be provided to faculty to create uh, uh, course material on the web. And that grew to a supported environment where we provided the space and some of the student support to create course material. Well, lo and behold, we came up with a scheme where we actually used that material to put it into the director of classes or link them uh, so that if a student went to the director of classes, followed a few links, and now they can get to the course material. The same thing happened with reserve materials, too. Libraries provided a list of things they were providing uh, for the students, and then those URLs magically, with a nightly job, got linked into the director of classes. So in a way, we had a, and similarly, discussion boards, which was a separate operation, our university bulletin board, which also had um, discussion boards created for individual classes, for, for individual courses. Um, this was a um, kind of like an expensive operation because things broke. Uh, registrar data wasn't that dependable, or some nightly job didn't run, and you know things like that. And we decided that a more of a or higher quality course management system was in the works. In so I'm not sure whether David can comment on when the director of classes started, but probably in the 98-99 time frame, um, right? <laughs> even before then. Um, so, in a way, we were thinking that what we would like to do is find a product that does almost what we used to do with the directory of classes, because as you know, Serge said, people don't want to change. Uh, they were used to this environment, and even to the features and the look of it. So, in a sense, I think you will see from the last four items that our previous template-based course information was very important to our faculty, and they really wanted to keep the same format. So some of the work that went during that initial configuration was to make sure that the first public release will look like the old system. Um, so in a way, uh, Prometheus came around at a time when the other products were not really ready, and Prometheus was very, very friendly to us. And they would not only accept our terms in terms of modifying source or looking at the source, which at the time Blackboard wouldn't even not only not allow us to modify the code, but not even look at the code. So it was a serious problem for us from a, coming from a culture of open source uh, and not wanting to run anything that we can't really obtain the source of. So Prometheus became a de facto answer, but at the same time, Two schools, business school, teachers college is not really part of the university, but it's a very close affiliate. Uh, we were both running uh, Prometheus at the time. So they had not only done serious, um, a, a few years of usage of it, but business school had actually committed substantial funds on contract to have the product developed and modified according to their specs. So since that modification went even today, Prometheus is a separate, is a separate version of Prometheus runs for the business school at, uh, at Columbia. The 
process that we established sometime in the summer was to actually form a committee that uh, was chaired by one of my managers, namely Rob, Robert Cartolano, who is really the kind of like the father of this project, but he became a real father, therefore he's not here. It was like three days ago. Um, so I, was, I had to write this presentation last night. So. <laughs> um, that committee includes not only ACES, which is Academic Computing Us, and Center for New Media, which is our faculty support uh, uh, organization, Center for New Media and Teaching and Learning, but also a membership from libraries that see you well. The several schools, uh, a few representatives from our health sciences, social work, in a variety, and also some representation from student services, who is responsible for running the, you know, registrar type operations. So there was a critical component of us. So the initial customizations was really initial customiz two customizations. One was basically making the directory of classes look alike in the new system, and the other ones to implement uh, authentication, which was basically one of our main requirements that this system must run under in our Kerberos environment without separate ID systems, without separate passwords, et cetera. So the first semester basically went into, namely the fall semester, into the, making these customizations. And the first public release of the system happened in about a year, uh, year, 18 months ago. At that time, we had, uh, this is January 02, approximately 600 courses went online, and a lot more customizations went online. But I think the most important thing was that it kind of looked like the old directory of classes. These are from the list of features that we kind of threw around, saying that these are the good things that it will do for us. Um, some of the things were important to, to us because we were doing them in some other environment, and I think it was difficult to keep track of all of those things in a single product. But again, I think toward the bottom is really the most important part, is that you know, things like, I mean, Cold Fusion wasn't really that important to us, but Cold Fusion as a programmable environment for us, which we can program, was very important to us. Uh, the fact that it was customizable, the fact that we could actually write our interface to, for login, the, the UNI, the University Network ID system, was very important. It had to run on Solaris and Oracle environment, and it had to, you know, support a, you know, the, the kind of things we were interested in doing in streaming media. Uh, I mean, the other stuff is kind of like normal, um, but it was nice to know that the system we were selecting did those. <coughs> the investment that went into these, obviously, are most of them are obvious, but the last one was actually something we decided that was very important, that if we, are, if we were interested in customizing this product, which was very important to the culture, we had to invest at least in a brand new program. There was just nothing we can scrape around in our, in our organization that will be able to do this. And that had to be, and we actually came across one person who had pedagogical background as well as cold fusion knowledge. Wow. Um, other customization we ended up doing during that time were things like the standard vocabularies, what's a course, what's a class, what's a school, what's a college, you know, all of those things were important for us to customize. But 
at the time, I think we're talking about spring 2002 or toward the end of that first semester, uh, was I thinking that the university, and this might be another topic, tomorrow's topic, Chuck's topic, is that was interested in providing the intellectual creation of the university to the outside world. Um, I mean, that's why, uh, you know, now defunct Fathom was created, but there's also an organization called, uh, that still exists, Digital Knowledge Ventures, which was very interested in a different view into the course materials, and that's really what we call Columbia Interactive. But to be able to do that, you had to, you can't make everything that's in your coursework to be available to the public because there are uh, restrictions in terms of uh, copyrights. But also, there's the sense that even non-copyrighted material could be sensitive. I mean, it could be referring to you know, Middle East politics, and you don't want the world to know that you have this view or that view. Uh, or, or it could be that some people want to promote the stuff that they're doing uh, because they're doing something brand new in you know, Art of India or something. So the thinking was that we will allow a way to a database view into the course material that then DKV or Digital Knowledge Ventures could actually take selectively and make them available to the outside world. What we did in Prometheus to support this is actually created a permission system where faculty could say, this particular material is only viewable by my class or viewable only by the university people. That means it requires a login still, but it's a university ID, or it's public. So those three levels was established so that then the extraction that happens then lists a whole bunch of uh, courses. And then depending on whether you're logged in or you're public in the outside world, could actually access some of the material. Some of the material in coursework was not accessible at all. For example, discussion boards were not open to anybody except for the people taking the courses. Uh, and then secondly, we also honor the, the access control we have in place, which is also based on unis, that the libraries uses for accessing uh, materials. So even if an outsider is looking around to, uh, to at, a, at, a, at some material that's been put out by Columbia Interactive, you could still restrict them to not see some of the library material because it still requires an additional login to the university system. Uh, and as I mentioned, the ongoing uh, integration of the, the uni system, uh, the fact that we're using uh, who's taking what course type information from LDAP, uh, the Kerberos login, and, inter and the interface to our student information system. This is the semester ending or ended today. Or um, We've come to about a level of 1,000 courses that have some course material for this semester and about over 2,500 courses in for the four semesters, I guess, including a summer semester that's currently there. Um, again, we have not ad addressed the issue of archiving, but our current thinking is that all material will be available to the faculty that taught them forever, and that they will be archived, but the faculty have the, uh, have the tools to actually unarchive them and move them to another course, another semester, if they choose to. Um, about 500 courses uh, 
as a result of this permissions have become public materials. So those are available to the outside world. Um, this semester, we think we reached about 20,000 20, users, unique users. Uh, but in terms of usage statistics, we've noticed that the peak usage was 1,200 unique logins per month. So about 1,200 students and faculty have used the system this semester. The new changes we're talking about that still is in the process or somewhat complete are, or at least, yeah, I think most of these are completed. Uh, a level of administrative control. For example, uh, I can go into the system as an administrator and look at courses and who's teaching them, et cetera, uh, or a school administrator can go and look at the uh, courses provided by that school, and this gives them a level of control that, uh, or also, for example, Center for New Media has educational technology assistants that assist each faculty, each assistant assists 15 faculty members. So they can actually look at those 15 courses and jump between them, whereas a faculty member is only allowed to do theirs and a student only allowed to look at the stuff that they're doing. Uh, the second, this is exactly what I was talking about regarding the permissions, the course versus university versus open access to course. Um, migration, again, that's the archiving issue I was talking about, namely being able to migrate a course from this semester to next semester or three semesters from now for faculty who want to reuse the material they have. Um, um, third space is a tool that was developed to support uh, streaming media or processing streaming media in discussion boards. So if a faculty member puts up a video and wants to start a discussion, students then take clips over and say, starting here, they comment, 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 starting there, starting there. So there's a tool for students to embed a video without having to download, upload, or doing anything except for you know, point, uh, a start and end type of a tool. Reserves took a little bit of work, but it's almost a no-brainer. Uh, but the interesting thing is that faculty also can submit reserve requests to the system, not only post them. Uh, competence is an interesting thing that our dental school started, and I think there are other professional schools that are very interested in supporting this. The school administrators can decide, let's say, uh, for a given course, what kind of competencies, which is required for certification, are satisfied by a given course. And by selecting a bunch of courses, you can identify the 15 competencies required for dentistry now is satisfied by the student because they've taken these courses. So places like social work and other uh, professional schools are interested in this. And finally, the last one is a, not that important, but the Prometheus did not have a way to upload, even though they had downloading capability from a, the system to an Excel spreadsheet, they did not have the uploading capability, and we wrote that so that faculty, if they were keeping an Excel spreadsheet, can then post their grades to the system. So it's the archiving. Um, it's, uh, there's an archiving feature in the system, so it does not become available for s searching without being an administrator, but then a faculty member who has that ownership to that can see that, but nobody else can. So it's not available for students to log in or look or take, but it's only available to the teacher, to the instructor who taught that. Then they can unarchive that, make it available again, and then move it to a new semester if they want to reuse the material. Um, 
Last slide. Um, Voyager is the new library system that we are installing. It's actually started running, but in July it becomes the library system. And we had to do some work to integrate with it the reserve system that it provides. Course evaluation is the is an interesting area because even though the registrar has a way of doing course course evaluation, each school, each faculty, even each department, have want to ask different questions about the courses they taught. So this is a way to create an evaluation tool at the end of the semester for the students to fill. Facebook is still under discussion. Um, we may or may not do that. Um, and the I'll skip that one. Uh, gradebook integration is kind of like an interesting thing for us because uh, it's very tough to talk to a mainframe-based, 3270-based system that takes grades. Uh, um, that's the student system we use. So uploading grades into the registrar system does not happen yet, but we have actually programmed the feature so that with a single button, you know, they can connect to the grading system on the registrar so that from the course they're teaching, faculty can then submit as opposed to finding some other way of logging in. Um, improving faculty and student data is an issue because uh, that last example I gave you in terms of integrating a system, an outside system into the courseworks became a problem as a result of creating the button because many people who were in the course management system, faculty, did not have the link to go to the registrar system. Uh, the data clean data, the, the dirty data problem was a, I mean, we found out that 1,000 faculty did need, either did not have a valid uni in the registrar system that matched what they were using in the courseworks, or things didn't match at all because, you know, social security number was wrong, the name was typed wrong, you know, data dirtiness. And the student problem is that uh, things like at the beginning of the semester, being able to provide the faculty in the course management system the, the correct roster became a problem because things in terms of dropping and adding were a week late, month late, three weeks late, whatever. It became a problem for faculty. Some faculty, some faculty don't care who's taking their courses, but some do. And I think given that it took several weeks into the semester to determine who's in the class becomes a problem and you don't have good quality data. And finally, the exit strategy. I mean, I think, you know, we all know that Prometheus is frozen. It's not going to be, you know, we like it. We've de devoted a lot of time to do it. It's open source, at least as far as we can treat it, it's open source. But, you know, there's not much vendor-supplied brand-new features coming along, and I think that concerns us. Uh, so, you know, everything is fair game. I mean, Blackboard has bought Prometheus. So their word a year ago was that Blackboard and Prometheus will merge, but you know, what, what does that mean? Um, so that's basically it. I'll just want to show you two screens worth. Here's a directory of classes that we used to Use I and mean, it's still in use, obviously, because this is current data. And I'll just click on one course that, well, of course, I won't display. It's off the net after all those hibernations. 
but trust me, it looks something like this. <laughs> um, it's basically the kind of look that the templates provided in our directory of course for each course is maintained in Prometheus, and this is actually an active course. But one of the things I did not mention that happened during these customizations is that on top you will see that you know, the institution is called Barnard College, and I think that was the customizations we did so that Barnard faculty won't feel isolated or you know, offended if they have to use the same faculty, same courses because most courses are shared. When Barnard College is almost like one of the Columbia University's undergraduate schools, but it's not. Uh, so it's a different faculty, different trustees, different president. Uh, another example would be, I mean, this is, again, yet another look, but this is the one of the courses that I was talking about that goes into into the, the competencies. And I think you know, Zimmerman was one of the faculty using that. He's, he's from the dentistry school, John Zimmerman. Uh, over here, you will see all of the tools, and these exist. Some of these existed in our directory of classes, but things like you know, study tools is an addition we've made um, right there. Uh, that actually provides the faculty to select from a whole number of tools that are going to be used in that class. For example, a folio, a you know, notepad, a, a, uh, a EndNote, or you know, there are a variety of other tools. Like Mathematica could be there, for example. A lot of those tools that each class will, so they can actually assign for each class what kind of tools they will be using for that class. And the others are pretty straightforward. So I can't show you the directory of classes, but it does look like this, too. So that's it. Um, okay. Uh, the question was, how many people do we have supporting this? Uh, there is, as I said, one person only was hired as a programmer that does cold fusion. That's the only additional staff we've added. Uh, all other support for this comes from existing organizations. All infrastructure is done by our academic computing group, uh, and all pedagogical support is done from the Center for New Media, and libraries continues providing and modifying their reserve systems. So it's really one. Um, the person that I said was not able to be here actually dedicated at least about you know, a day a week, 20% is a manager level, to actually make this happen. So that's actually this contribution that academic computing made to this project. <laughs> well, we use everything. I mean, most of the, the primary streaming media system we use is real-based. Um, and we have one of our early, even before ITC, efforts was actually supporting the whole music humanities curriculum completely online. Um, so that's kind of like an odd child there because it doesn't fit into the right authentication environment. It's limited to IP-based security, so only people on campus could actually connect to it. So there's a little problems with it. But there's a lot of work being done in quick time uh, and other technologies too.
didn't automatically switch. So do I need to go back to... Well, I can just make it Will it do this resolution? Oh, it's not, the resolution isn't right. I'm just going to, let me just change it. Hello, which one's the slideshow, that one? Uh, we're still not entirely on. Whoops. I can know how to run this. We're still... Here we go. We're moving to the right. Good. Okay, let's go. All right, uh, I'm uh, Dirk Hoyman from uh, University of Wisconsin-Madison, and I'm, I'm going to talk to you about both what's happening on the Madison campus and what's happening at the University of Wisconsin as a whole. Um, before I do that, I just, I just have to interject my uh, terminology thing here. I'm, I'm calling this thing an e-learning system, and there's, there's been... Uh, CMS and LMS, and I'm just throwing out uh, ELS. So, so that's me. Um, and and I have heard e-learning system being used in the larger industry, so I'm not feeling bad about saying that. Um, when I look at this thing, I'm yes. Question. Sure. No. No. I, I think these are terms that are invented by people trying to push products. That's my own personal bias on it. We can call them whatever we want, but we know one when we see them. <laughs> um, kind of, yeah. Um, I, I do look at the underlying underpinnings here as having a framework, a tools, and a place to put content and that this technology is actually similar to other integrated systems. Um, it's similar to what people are doing for portals, and we actually see several efforts that are using portal technology, um, as well as uh, things coming out of uh, enterprise applications, student information systems. Um, I also latch on to the e-whatever e uh, type of name, which... Uh, Annie likes to throw around too, so I, I'm kind of throwing that around. 
Uh, let me talk a little bit about then what's happening here at Wisconsin, where we have a history of uh, tradition and distance learning. And uh, we've actually been playing around with multiple systems on multiple campuses for multiple years. I forgot that one. Um, and, and we do have an, an interest in having a UW system-wide hosting utility, is, is how we phrase that, okay? Kind of an ASP for ourselves, if you will. Okay, so here, here's, here's the landscape of products that people have been using uh, up until about 1998. And you can see there's quite a few things in here, and there's probably some more that aren't even on this list. Learning space, for example, was uh, pretty big for a while. Uh, we ran uh, first class. Is that on here? That's not even on here. Uh, locally at Madison, okay? Um, this is 1998. In uh, 2002, it collapsed down a bit where we actually saw these four products actually being used, Learning Space, Prometheus, Blackboard, and WebCT at, and within the UW. And used means supported with licensing that's worked out, not so much what's happening in smaller, quote, rogue units, okay? All right, but even this is a lot, okay? So um, with price increases uh, staring us in the face for Blackboard and WebCT, uh, the CIOs started asking questions about can we support more multiple systems, um, and could we just go with one product? What does the marketplace look like, and what is the cost likely to be? All right. So the answer was to come up with a RFP process to charge a task force to look at this. Um, I was part of that task force, and I'm going to report a little bit about what happened in our RFP process. This. This was a year-long process, and we just completed that in February 03. Okay, so here's a diagram that came in the RFP, which kind of laid out in a diagrammatic way our vision of what we might like, which is a lot of stuff that's connected in, in different ways. Right in the middle here is the heart of the system, but here's some stuff out here that would actually be repositories and things that work with authoring tools, which might actually be outside the core of the product. Okay. Ah, let me do that. <laughs> Don't look at that. Ah, there it is. Got it. Okay. Here, can I view your eyes? Yeah. Um, here's the course management part in the middle. Here is here's a separate application over here, which would be used for a, a content repository. Here's things from the library, including e-reserves, which is right there. Here's the student information system. Here's external authentication, authorization systems. Here's, here's a portal. There's a lot of stuff here. Um, and uh, I think the group, this uh, committee, 
kind of wanted to have its cake and eat it too. We, we, we'd like to have an integrated product, but you know, if we can mix and match and do best of breed, we, that, that would be good too. So we were trying to lay this out and uh, see what the vendor community would come back with. All right. Um, the RFP process we went through, we actually started with an RFI, request for information. That, di that didn't count. That's just a survey of the marketplace. And then a, a formal RFP. Um, if folks are interested in, in seeing this RFP that is a public document, I can share it with whomever. Um, and you can see we had about 30 responses to the RFI and 16 responses to the RFP. Um, out of that, we came up with a list of finalists, uh, Blackboard WebCT, which was no surprise, um, and then uh, two new entrees, uh, Grenada LearnWise, that's a, a British UK product, and Desire to Learn. Um, part of our process did involve actually talking to the vendors, getting uh, accounts that we could look at these systems, and then having uh, demos for our uh, campus users ac across the UW. Um, we, we didn't necessarily look as closely as we might have wanted in all places, but we did try to take a pretty good look at everything. And this included bringing in existing courses from WebCT and Blackboard and seeing how they migrated. Um, I just wanted to say a little bit about the technology profile of the finalists. This is just sort of my blithe commentary on this. Uh, and uh, I'm trying to say what I can say without going crossing over the line in non-disclosure, but I, I think I'm okay with saying this much. Um, Blackboard looks to be sticking with a hybrid model. Uh, they've got a Perl core surrounded by Java. Hey, maybe we'll do .NET APIs too. They're, they're, they're not exactly sure what they're doing, I guess is my, my sense. And they're, not, they're, they're trying to do everything. And, and uh, so they're not clearly in one technology camp or another. Uh, WebCT is going uh, for J2E, no ifs, ands, if, ands or buts, uh, classic J2EE implementation, and this is basically looking like a new product compared to the uh, original WebCT, which was Perl-based. Um, now, now, it's interesting that Blackboard is, is often seen as being in the Microsoft camp, but actually when you talk to them more closely, you see that they're not sure what camp they're in, and, and, and uh, as opposed to WebCT, which is clearly doing J2EE. There's no doubt about it. Uh, Grenada struck me as, as being kind of an interesting uh, take at the uh, J2EE world. They are clearly doing J2EE, and they too are switching. Uh, their original product was built in Active Server Pages, Microsoft technology. But they're also not afraid to use open source within their product in, in multiple places. And the thing that really struck me is their use of JBoss. Um, that they, they really went out on, on a limb, I thought, uh, on that, on a mainline product. I mean, this, this is a big deal for them. I, I believe this is also tied to the 
UK mindset and some procurement policies that are in effect in UK where they're favoring uh, open source there. Um, that, that's my sense there. Um, they're also uh, outsourcing to development to India and things like that in some places. So they're, they're actually hitting several trends there. Kind of interesting. Grenada, by the way, <laughs> I, I don't know if everybody realizes this, Grenada would be like a, a media company in the United States, CBS, NBC, uh, or Fox. And uh, British uh, television, like Upstairs, Downstairs, came out of this. So what Grenada did is they actually bought a company that came out of some university there and are now making it into uh, part of their product line. So that's, that's their strategy. Then we get to desire to learn. Um, desire to learn is, is, a, is a small uh, startup out of uh, Canada. They, uh, in the uh, University of Waterloo area, a lot of the people there are graduates. And they're using straight uh, Microsoft COM technology. Uh, I'm, I'm saying COM to distinguish it from .NET. Um, and that's what they're doing. Um, and out of all of these uh, companies, this is the one that's actually in the Microsoft camp. <laughs> it's kind of in, was kind of interesting to me. Okay, so to get to the punchline, uh, the committee selected Desire to Learn. And it wasn't based on the technology either. Um, it, the, the technology was thought to be adequate, n not the best, but not so bad that we could reject it. Uh, it's, it went out on uh, functionality and user experience. It was felt to be a well-designed product from the user perspective and was the one that generated the most excitement as we took it out to our uh, user community. And we heard several times people saying, well, if you're going to make me switch, that's the one I'd, I'd like to use. Or in some cases, people saying, yeah, I actually do, do want to use that. Uh, so user experience design uberalis, kind of my sound bite. Um, this company was kind of hiding out before they hit our process. Um, and they really haven't marketed themselves, so uh, that's probably why nobody heard about them up until this point. Um, basically, what they did internally in their product development is they picked their technology approach about 2001, and they've just stuck with it since then. They've been building out functionality and not really going and reworking the technology, which I would contrast with the Blackboard and WebCT and, and some others that have spent significant resources on looking at their technology. And, and they're also doing this with, oh, about 15 or so uh, developer types, that, that in that period of time they got to a, what looked to our users to be a more interesting place than WebCT, Blackboard, or uh, anybody else. Okay, so... Right now, we're in the middle of a, of a migration process to uh, bring up Desire to Learn and migrate off of WebCT and Blackboard by the end of June uh, 04. And the, the driver here is licensing. We, we don't want to have to relicense these products, not, not to mention supporting them for a longer period of time. 
pretty, pretty tight timeline. Um, we're also going with a single hosting utility at the Madison campus. We, we had had multiple hosting utilities. We're just now going to have one. Um, and some of the excitement we have in front of us is integration with multiple campus systems, not, not just one. Um, so we're trying to get a handle on that, even as I speak. Um, here, here's some thoughts about kind of risks and opportunities that, that we're seeing here, um, and ones we talked about uh, within the process. Um, we're, uh, one of the bigger risks is we're the biggest thing they're uh, going to do. <laughs> Of course, we've been in that position before at Wisconsin. So uh, when we brought in the PeopleSaw student information system, this was the biggest implementation. When we brought in Voyager, that was the biggest implementation. Gee, why don't we do it again? Um, they need to grow their staff quickly. There, there is some concern about the Microsoft technology and if we're going to get locked into some client access licenses as well as what's happening with .NET. Are they going to be so popular that uh, people, people are going to run out and bang down their doors and uh, want to get them to bring in? Um, we already know they're getting feelers from several of our friends. Ohio State is uh, looking at them in their RFP process. Um, also, they need to shift from a mentality that's one of essentially building a custom application, because that's been the mode they've been, to one where they're looking at it as a partnership, and you know we, we have capabilities on our side uh, to deal with uh, some of the things, some of the development. Um, on the good side, on the opportunities, they've, they're uh, a young company, and they've been responsive to our requirements. Um, and we're hoping we can build a good positive vendor relationship uh, from the beginning, including how they respond to our uh, requests for changes in the products. We're also looking at this as an opportunity to get away from the product branding that we have probably stumbled into uh, in, in terms of how we speak to our campus. And, and we've talked about product instead of talking about service. So we're looking at calling this something else. And I, I believe it's learn at, learn at Wisconsin. I'm looking at Annie because we're, that's the name that we've been batting around. But we're trying to specifically get away from the product branding. And this is a vendor who is okay with that, that they're not insisting we put their uh, brand right in the middle of the user experience. And I think Serge has a question. That's, that is another risk. Yes, it, absolutely. Um, or, or bought out is another risk, absolutely. Yes. It, yes. Um, is a risk that uh, this company might go out of business? And the answer is yes. Um, actually, we saw this as a risk for all of, the, all of those companies we put on there. Same, same risk. Um, one thing about this company is they haven't taken any, any outside investment yet. So they, their choices there are, are different than some of these other, other companies. Um, but absolutely, that's a risk. Actually, we're worried that Microsoft might take them in, to tell you the truth. <laughs> that Microsoft might look at them and say, hey, you know, that's the one. Blackboard, 
Forget about you. It's now desire to learn. <laughs> uh, in the back, Michael. We did put in something about the client access license that, that they are not to build the product such that we are required to have client a Microsoft client access licenses. We also have some, uh, some buyout uh, clauses uh, that deal with uh, what happens if the company gets uh, sold. So escrow of their source code is something we got in there. Yep, yep. And again, that's a concern for any, any of these companies. I mean, you know, are any of these companies... Oh, interesting thing we did in the evaluation process. We brought in one of our uh, internal financial people, the people who invest our retirement funds, <laughs> out and said, okay, if you looked at these companies, these four finalists, how would you view them? Oh, they're all kind of high-risk companies. Uh, maybe Grenada isn't so high-risk because they're a big... They're, they're a big company, but everybody else, they, they, they for sure look like high-risk high companies. We'd probably invest in them, but, you know, we wouldn't look at them as blue-chip solid things. Yes, VJ. Uh, sounds to me like desire to learn. You're constantly looking at it as uh, a company, as a provider, as a bunch of developers, rather than a product that's constantly interested. It's almost like outsourcing the development of the system, or is it a product? Well, it is a product with real functionality that that they have today. Um, how how our relationship evolves uh, along those lines is something that uh, we have to uh, work out with them. Uh, so, but internally they view themselves as as almost like a consulting type <laughs> company as opposed to a shrink wrap software company. Right. Right. For this summer. Right. So it, it was seen to be a product that had immediate value that didn't have to be developed in, in the future. Yes. Sure. Our migration plan now officially has has three phases, and none of them are called pilot. Thank you very much. Sure. At least. Right. Right. Right, for the entire UW. Um, for this summer, we're looking at uh, just very limited use for a handful of hand-selected uh, people uh, who want to get their hands on this uh, right away. And we are going to use the, uh, their ASP hosting services for that. For fall, we're going to do... Uh, uh, expand it a bit. Uh, we are going to run it uh, at Madison, but we're not going to run it on the final uh, hardware platform. Uh, we are looking at uh, being able to address people who have new, new courses, new things they want to do. Um, this will also be a time when we start addressing the migration in the fall. 
for the spring, then, uh, we want to bring up the true, totally reliable, redundant, clustered uh, hardware and uh, be working uh, on migrating everybody in, in in the spring. So that's the timeline we're on in those three phases. People will be live this summer, even. Uh, people can be live in the fall. They can also be migrating and doing development. Um, so uh, so we, we're, we are running some things live in production all, all the way around. Um, and this is sort of a tightrope we're, we're whopping, but we can't wait a year or so before people actually get to use the bright, shiny new object we just bought. Right. You've got a course to bring up this fall. You should be bringing it up in desire to learn, and we'll have we'll have an environment for you to run on this fall. So we're starting there. Frank. Surges. You know what, what are faculty saying about this? I mean, you know, they, they were using WebCT before. Now suddenly. That there. Sure, there are concerns, but knowing that there is a plan to migrate, knowing that they don't have to migrate this fall if they're using it. Um, because a lot of people were, were thinking, oh, you're just going to pull the rug up from under me and I'm going to have to immediately jump into something even for this fall. There, there, are, there are some concerns, though, and we are trying to address the concerns of our existing users by trying to, if there are features that they have in WebCT or Blackboard that they're not seeing in the current product, and it's not going to be everything, we're going to work with the vendor to get those features in the product. So those are the things we're we're doing. Search. Sure. Well, I I was a member of the RFP committee that uh, selected the product, and we had a mixture of faculty. Uh, CIO and technologists. Uh, we had uh, uh, one, a couple of learning technologists, I, I would describe, from around the system. Um, uh, so, uh, and we did divide it up into functional and technology uh, analysis of the product, as well as a general analysis of, of the company. So I, I don't know if that completely addresses your question, but but we didn't want to look at it as purely an IT decision. Clearly, that, that wasn't the intention. I don't know if Annie wants to say any more on that, because you were part of that. I'm thinking, you know, one of the things that makes me nervous about this is the basement of Microsoft World, and I'd much rather run my big enterprise systems in the world of Microsoft. But, you know, then I carry an Apple with me, too. So I'm never sure how much of it is big and how much of it is right. real. Um, these folks are already talking to some about porting this to a Unix now that's making me nervous. They're doing that at the insistence of our Milwaukee campus uh, because Milwaukee is a Sun something or other center. Although center we, we have sort of got and them off of that. Sun is really good engineers on that court for <laughs> yeah. these people. Uh, I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm watching that and I'm also discouraging it from happening right now because we are a huge implementation for this very small firm. So I'd rather they paid attention to just helping us get this up and running and then worry about porting. Um, we, 
we, we didn't worry. Uh, I mean, you know, we knew we could we knew we could bring it up. We knew we could run it. Uh, we're concerned about how we're going to tie it into our directories, but we've got different directories on all of our campuses. So you know, it's a problem whether it's Microsoft Active Directory or LDAP or or, or whatever. What you were saying, it sounds to me like if this company does die, go belly up or whatever, you've essentially bought. I mean, you'll continue as a whole. You have to go. That 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 would be a that would be a possibility. We 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 don't imagine they'll go belly up and nobody gets gets it though at this point. Not in the next five years would be my. Uh, they're they're in a fairly strong position as a, as a company as an entity of positive cash flow and all of that. But yes, anything could happen. Uh, there was a question over here. Which was my which was my own personal uh, choice, but you know this is a this is a committee process. Right. Right. No, no, actually it was bigger. They had more people. No, no, they had more. Uh, they, they were bigger than Desire to Learn in terms of their development team and the number of people they had on the product. Uh, not a lot bigger, but bigger. But, well, Well, it was a bold step on on their on their part compared to what uh, others uh, might be thinking. But one that actually looked pretty good to me. It actually gave us a lot more flexibility in our licensing and being able to run multiple instances of this. Which with WebCT and Blackboard, they were basically locking you into. You get a production instance. You get a test instance. Hey, anything else? You're going to have to talk to us about licensing some more. Right, you you would think, right? Um, I know we're running over here. I've, uh, we'll have more time to talk about this, and I am going to talk a bit more on the integration issues when we get to that part of our sessions. Okay, so well, I think we're, we're okay. Running a little over, and yep. we had one more uh, presentation in this section. I think though it's not fair to postpone the break anymore. So we'll we'll work out what we're going to do afterwards. Frank, when did we reconvene? Eleven. The original break was scheduled for fifteen minutes. Eleven o'clock. Eleven o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>